Hey y'all, this week we continued our series on the 420 core values and I talked about healthy boundaries. Essentially, I talked about keeping the main thing, the main thing of keeping intimacy with God as the most important thing and about how we were designed for intimacy with God first and allowing everything else to flow perfectly out of that. And when we make the kingdom of God, make enjoying God our primary purpose in life, then it brings clarity, it brings wisdom, and it brings a, a sense of purpose that flows into every area of life. Love you guys. Hope this uh, blesses you. Have a good week. All right, y'all. I, uh, I want to speak super simply tonight, and we're just, uh, we've been going through our core values here at 420, and uh, the end from the beginning is that I just want to talk about uh, keeping the first thing the first thing. I just want to talk about the importance of keeping intimacy as uh, with God as the number one thing. And we're going to talk about that in the context of healthy boundaries. And so uh, a lot of times you can talk about boundaries in the case of, you know, relationships with others, how to have healthy boundaries in your work life, and your personal life. But today I just want to talk about the, the core uh, value of healthy values is keeping the main thing the main thing of keeping intimacy with Jesus first and foremost above everything. So we've been going through core values and uh, the first week Matt talked about worship. Next week we talked about intimacy with God. The next week we talked about honor which was super good and convicting. And then the next week we talked about miracles. When we talked about miracles, man, we saw so many cool healings in here. Is anybody here tonight that was healed that night? Got prayer? Okay, we have a couple over here. Awesome. You guys stayed healed? <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. That's the Lord. And, uh, and last week, Matt talked about uh, love. He talked about love. So this week, we're going to talk about healthy boundaries, keeping the main thing the main thing. So there's this crazy verse. I think it's the most terrifying verse in the Bible. But Jesus talks about um, how... At the very end of time, he says that people will come to him and say, Jesus, we prophesied in your name. We did all these mighty works in your name. We, we led people to the Lord in your name. We built all these amazing ministries in your name. And yet Jesus, standing at the gates of heaven, will turn them away and say, I never knew you. Will say, I never knew you. And to me, that's the most terrifying terrifying verse in the Bible because, man, it reveals that following, this whole following Jesus thing is not about doing as much as we can for God. It, it really is about knowing Him, that we are created to know Him, that we are created to receive His love and to love Him in return, and there's no amount of works, there's no amount of striving, there's no amount of cool stuff that we can do that will make up for knowing Him, for receiving His love, for receiving His forgiveness and His grace through the cross, and then loving Him in return. And Matthew 22 says this, a guy comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? He says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus answered him. He said, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. The second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Contained within these commandments to love, you will find all the meaning of the law and the prophets. So healthy boundaries means prioritizing 
intimacy with Jesus first and foremost. And the amazing thing about prioritizing intimacy with Jesus above everything else is that everything else flows naturally out of that. And so the second commandment, all of a sudden, it goes from something that feels like this huge burden and feels impossible to love those people in our lives that's super difficult. And all of a sudden, when we have the first thing first and we're receiving the love of God and we're pursuing intimacy with Jesus above everything, all of a sudden, doing the second commandment is super easy because it's an overflow of the first commandment. But if we pursue the second commandment as a way to fulfill the first, which I've done in my own life, right? What's the best way to love God? Oh, we're going to go love people. That's the best way to love God. All of a sudden, it becomes a burden. All of a, all of a sudden, it becomes a struggle. All of a sudden, we're trying to do it out of our own strength instead of receiving his love first, loving him in return, and then allowing that overflow to love people. I love what Paul said, that this is a center of overflow, that we encounter the love of Jesus, and when we look at him, then we're naturally overflowing with the love he's given us, and we love the people around us in return. I, I think so many times we get mixed up, and I have in my own life, that we think that the best way that we, we do the first commandment is doing that second commandment, of doing the things for God, of even doing the good things for God, of, of loving others, of focusing on that area in our lives that's weak. Maybe it's an addiction and saying, man, I'm going to get this right for God. I'm going to get this right, and all of a sudden the addiction has all of our attention. It's the thing that we're focusing on. It's the thing that we wake up with in the morning. It's the thing that we go to bed with at night. But we're trying so hard to love God because we're focusing on that addiction. Amen. I agree. But it's backwards because the way that we're created is that whatever has our attention is what has power in our lives. Every time. And so we were created to keep our eyes on Jesus, to have him be the main thing in our, fo in our focus, in our eyes, and the main thing when we wake up in the morning, Jesus is the first thing that our eyes are on. When we go to bed at night, Jesus is the first thing, the last thing that our eyes are on. And as we do that, all of a sudden, all those things in our lives, they start to lose power. And all of a sudden, loving our neighbor becomes easier. And all of a sudden, these things that we've been addicted to or these patterns, these thought patterns, these idols that we've had, all of a sudden, they lose their, their grasp on us. And they don't become as enticing because we have kept first love as first love. I think the, the crazy thing about the way that we were created is that doing things for God is not the primary way that we love God. Doing things for God is not the primary way that we love God. I don't primarily love my wife by taking care of our kids or letting them run wildly around. Either way, that's not the primary way I love her. That is one of the ways that I love her, and that's a huge part of our lives is that we take care of our kids and I help with, you know, whatever is needed. I do things for my wife all the time. But if our relationship was built on me doing things for her, we just have this transactional relationship. And there's nothing that will make our hearts grow, grow cold faster to each other, faster, than turning it into a transaction. I mean, what if we took all of, my wife and I, what if we took all of our date nights and instead of just focusing on us and spending time together and knowing each other, what if we just turned it into a night that we're going to take care of the kids? Doesn't work super well. Carly's taking care of some kids. <laughs> she laughs. It doesn't work very well. And I think so often with our relationship with the Lord, all of a sudden we turn these times that are meant to be just between me and Jesus, me and the Lord, and we turn it into accomplishing something for him. And although our heart can be right in the middle, all of a sudden we're doing the second commandment. We're doing things for God as an attempt to love him. 
And yes, those things are absolutely there, but our primary way to love God is by loving Him, is by spending time with Him, is by giving Him thanks, like we do every time that we come in here, of giving Him thanks, giving Him praise, giving Him our love, of coming before Him and just being quiet before Him, of spending the time with Him, the same way that you would get to know somebody or you would invest into a relationship of anybody in your life, a friendship or a significant other. The Lord is just like that, just like that. He's not just looking for servants. He's looking for sons and daughters who actually will know him and that he knows back. It's back and forth. And it's exactly what we were made for. We come alive as we prioritize being with him and actually loving him to love him, not just doing things in order to love him. In the book of Revelation, there's this incredible... Uh, It's this incredible letter by John the Apostle, and in that, there's a couple letters at the beginning where Jesus speaks to all the churches in the early church. And this is what Jesus said to the church in Ephesus. Check this out. It's in Revelation 2, 2 through 5, if you want to follow along. Jesus says this to the church. He says, I know all that you've done for me. You have worked hard and persevered. All right, that's good. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved that they are not, for they are imposters, meaning they had an incredible heart for the truth, so they're only listening to the right people. He said, I also know how you were bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name. So this church was literally being persecuted. People were being put in prison. They were not allowed to, uh, the bank in Ephesus was actually in the temple of this goddess, which means that they couldn't get access to their money. They couldn't use the bank. They were literally being persecuted. They were being beaten, put in prison. Some of them were being killed. And Jesus says, I see all the persecutions that you've endured. And then you said, yet you still have not become discouraged. Sounds like they're doing pretty well, right? Pretty amazing. He says, but I have this against you. He says, you have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God made a covenant with Israel where it was enough to just keep the commands, where it was enough to just do the right things and offer sacrifices, and you would be right with God. But in this new covenant, without the Holy Spirit, it would be impossible. It would be even harder. But in this new covenant, it's not okay to just do the right things anymore. It's you have to have your heart engaged with the Lord as you do it. And the amazing thing about this covenant is that it is impossible without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible without intimacy with God that was not available in the old covenant, that is now available, that has to be front and center of everything, and everything else flows from that place. And so as we make loving Him our first and primary activity, as we do here every Thursday night, as we do on Wednesday mornings, every time that we gather together, we make loving Him our primary activity. It brings everything else into alignment. The, I have this, I don't know, does anybody have like weird YouTube videos that they love going to? That makes it sound really weird. Maybe I shouldn't have set it up that way. I love watching chiropractor videos on YouTube. Have you ever watched those? They're super relaxing. So like anytime my neck or my back is hurting, I can't go to a chiropractor, but I can watch chiropractor videos. Super interesting. Okay. I set that up horribly. Chiropractors. All right. So I learned, I've learned a lot about uh, like your back and your neck and your head through watching these random videos that really are relaxing. You should, you should, it, yeah, I highly recommend. But 
what I've learned is that a lot of times the pain in your body and the misalignment of your body is not actually from the area that hurts. What I found is that almost always the pain in your body, the misalignment in your back or even like hips and legs, a lot of it starts with your head. And so most of the time, like uh, most of the time when you're looking at your phone or you're driving a lot or you're looking at a desk, your head will naturally move forward. And so like my head is probably an inch in front of where it should be. So if I stand like this, it should be straight up and down. That's the way that our heads are supposed to be. But a lot of times, our heads are forward. And for every inch that our heads are forward in front of our necks, our neck has to carry double the amount of weight, double the amount of pressure as what it's supposed to be. I thought that was a fun fact. It's like, okay, interesting. So what happens when our neck has to carry double the amount of weight? All of a sudden, it gets knots, it gets messed up, it starts overcompensating, it starts locking up. And then when our neck starts locking up, then our shoulders start locking up. Some of you guys are like stretching right now and feeling how out of a line. Yeah, exactly, out of a line. Yeah, go, go watch some chiropractor videos when you go home. It's super relaxing. And so your shoulders all of a sudden get tight, and they have to compensate for your neck, and then your back is getting tight and has to compensate for your shoulders, and then it goes all the way down to your hips. Your hips are compensating for your back, to your knees and your feet, all the way down. And all of a sudden, your whole body is messed up because your head was just out of alignment just a little bit. Going somewhere with this. So Paul in the New Testament all the time says that Christ is the head and we are his body. Christ is the head and we are his body. It's actually a political statement because in Rome, Caesar, the emperor, was known as the head and Rome was known as the body. And so what Paul is saying is that Christ is the head and the rest of us are his body. But what happens when we get the head out of alignment? All of a sudden, there's these pains that happen in other areas of our lives. All right, so I'm going, <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this where so many times... We feel pain in whatever this is, this addiction over here. It's like it's in our arm, and we spend so long trying to get like our arm moving around. It's like, man, I'm having all this, prob all this problem with my arm, when actually, from a chiropractor standpoint, it actually starts from the head being misaligned. The head is not in the right place. And what happens in, when you move the head back to where it's supposed to be, the neck lines up, the back lines up, everything else lines up, and the blood flows the way that it's supposed to. In the same way, when we are living lives where the head is the head, where Jesus is the head, where he is the leader, where he is the main focus, where he is exalted and lifted up the way that he's supposed to, all of a sudden the blood starts flowing to every area of our lives. All of a sudden everything else starts to become easy, everything else makes sense. It's not always going to be easy, but all of a sudden we find that, man, as we just focus on loving Jesus, thanking him and worshiping him, and we come into his presence and say, God, I'm going to make this time about you, all of a sudden we realize, like, man, like my back doesn't hurt the way that it was doing before. Man, all of a sudden this, this depression that I came in with, it's not here anymore. All of a sudden this anxiety that I was feeling about, this conversation I had to have, or this uh, thing at work going on, all of a sudden it's not there anymore because all of a sudden the head is in proportion with the rest of the body, and the blood flows to the rest of the body. Jeff said something a couple of years ago that, that blew my mind. I love it. He, he said, uh, he was talking about the fruits of the Spirit. There's another fruits of the Spirit. I don't know if I can say them all. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think we did it. Great job, everyone. We did it. All right. <laughs> and I always grew up hearing those fruits of the Spirit, like, all right, these are great virtues to go after, all right? Like, it's great to be loving. It's good to be faithful. It's good to be, you know, you go down the line. These are virtues to go after. 
And yet, Jeff said something probably three or four years ago that I don't even know, like, if you, I don't know if it was a Facebook post or what, but it's the same concept of these are not virtues to go after. In fact, they're impossible to live out without the Holy Spirit. These are fruits of the Spirit, meaning they are signs that you've been hanging out with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's a good word, Jeff. Exactly. Do you remember that? Okay, it was a good word. Meaning, these are not virtues that we try super hard to live out. It is when we are spending time with Jesus every day, when we are protecting intimacy with the Lord every single day, when we are including Him in every decision that we make, when we are practicing His presence, meaning just all throughout the day, whenever we think of God, we just say, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you. I love you more than anything, Lord. All throughout the day, just practicing His presence, making His leadership number one in our lives, all of a sudden, that, the fruits of the Spirit start showing up in our lives. And how many times have we been taught in church of like, man, this is how you're supposed to behave. This is what you're supposed to do right. This is what you're not supposed to do wrong. And we focus so hard in trying to do those things and loving God by doing those things when all the Lord is asking is saying, hey, come and be with me. Come and prioritize intimacy with me and the fruits of my spirit will naturally flow out of you. Will naturally flow out of you. Psalm 37 says, make God the utmost desire, the utmost delight of your life and you'll get all the desires of your heart. And Jesus said it this way. He said, seek first the kingdom, and everything else will be added to you. If you seek first the kingdom, everything else lines up into place. If we exalt and keep the head the head in alignment, everything else falls into place. And so since we've started, uh, our primary purpose of 420, every time we gather, our primary purpose is to we use the phrase, minister to the Lord. It simply means bless him, thank him, love him. It means that he's the leader and the night is all about him. So we spend half the time just worshiping him, allowing him to do whatever he wants. We bless him, we thank him, we make it all about him. And even this like teaching section, this is all about then us learning how to do that all throughout the week. <laughs> it's still not just about making us better people. It is about teaching us and equipping each of us to love him and bless him in the best way that we know how just in our daily lives. So ministering to him, it happens in these intentional times. I like to think of these like in a relationship as like, as like date nights, where it's like us as the bride of Christ and a date night with the Lord. And then all throughout the week, we still love the Lord, and we do so individually and on our own. And so ministering to the Lord happens all throughout the week, but it also, and that's also the living out the gospel in our, in our mission and we've just seen over and over again that as we invite the Lord and we minister to Him, He just takes care of everything else. And all of us, Matt, Jeff, and I, we've all been in, in ministry before doing this. And so many times we would see the, the needs of people. We would see all these problems and we would be so problem-focused so that then we would try to come up with our own solution to the problems in our lives and in the lives of other people. And so many times we would just fall flat on our face and we would feel exhausted. It's like, man, I'm just trying to meet the needs of all these people around me. And yet we've just found over and over again that if we just go to the Lord, He cares about our needs and the needs of those around us way more than we care about our own needs or the needs of those around us. He really is the good shepherd. He really is the good shepherd. And so as, as we gather together on Thursday nights, like we're not here to, to feed you. <laughs> We're not here to feed ourselves because we can't. It would be lying if we said like, hey, come here and we'll, we'll teach you, we'll feed you, we'll satisfy your desires. It's impossible. 
our role as teachers and whoever teaches up here and whoever leads worship, the goal is to equip each one of us in learning how to be fed by the only one who satisfies, the only one who actually can feed us, who is the great shepherd, is the Lord. I always love the phrase, like, the, the role of pastors, the role of leaders is not to hear the voice of God for others. It's to teach others how to hear the voice of God for themselves. And that's what, that's what our role is. That's what we want to do on Thursday nights. That's any other times that we add. That's during prayer sets. We first and foremost come to minister to the him, him, allow him to be the Lord, allow him to be the leader, and allow him to be the great shepherd and meet our needs. And it's not about any individual, it's not about any individual gifting, it's not about who can speak the best or sing the best or play the best. It's, it's about blessing the Lord and allowing Him to do whatever He wants. So I want to look at the, at the life of Jesus real quick and just go a couple more minutes, just keep it really simple. So if we think about... If we think about the life of Jesus, I think, it's really, I think it's really crazy in the context of boundaries. You think about God coming to earth for 33 years. If you just heard that God came to earth for 33 years, what would you think he would do? Like if you were God and you're like, all right, I'm going to take a vacation to earth for 33 years, what would you do? <laughs> Jeff would fix the potholes. That's a great thing. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'll have to bring it up with him when I get to heaven why he didn't do that. <laughs> Fly, yeah, see, exactly, exactly, exactly. So God comes to earth, and he starts off as a baby in a trough, and he spends 30 years not doing ministry. He spends 30 years being a carpenter, memorizing the Bible, growing in intimacy. It says that he grew in favor with God and man. God himself came as a man, and he spent 30 of his 33 years only developing intimacy with the Father and providing for his family. <laughs> That's it. He could have done anything with those 30 years. That's what blows me away. He could have shown up as a fully grown man. He could have come, and he could have solved world hunger. He could have healed every single person in the world, but he didn't do it. He came, was born as a baby, and gave us the perfect example of what God looks like and the perfect example of what humanity looks like. You guys know that everything that Jesus did, he did, this is a side note, everything that Jesus did, he did as a man in perfect relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's not just a superhero to admire. It means that he was the perfect representation of what God looks like, and because we are created in the image of God, he's also the perfect representation of what humanity looks like. It means that anything that Jesus did, you have access to. That it's not out of the realm of possibility that you can do which is amazing to think about. It says in the New Testament that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside of us. So Jesus is not just, he is God. He is God. Don't hear me saying, as Matt says, don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. And yet he also was perfect humanity and he did Everything he did, not as God, but as perfect humanity. Even though he was God, he didn't use his God powers. It's amazing. So he comes to earth, and for 30 years, he just develops intimacy with the Father. And then, three years, he steps out, and the Father says, all right, it's time to do ministry. And he's baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's his first act of ministry? 
His first act of ministry after he's filled, the Holy Spirit rests on him and he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness for a month by himself with no food to develop intimacy with the Father. So many times that we see in the life of Jesus, a life of intimacy with Jesus looks the opposite of being productive. And so often in our, especially in our culture, we define success and we determine success in our lives or the lives of others by like how much immediate fruit can we have. You know, like in the church world, it's like, man, how big is your church? Or how many people have you led to the Lord? Or, uh, you know, you can go down the list of whatever it is. Or in our own lives, I mean, we, we have our own kind of actions or achievements of success. I know I fall into it so much. Like, you guys ever just do, like, busy work to feel like you accomplish something? Like, feel better about yourselves? I'm sure that's just me. Only me. <laughs> and yet, God comes to earth and spends 30 of his 33 years with nothing to show except for intimacy with the Father. And then he did more in those three years with having deep intimacy with the Father than he could have done in 33 years of not having that foundation that he had built during those 30 years. I love this example. It says in Luke 15, 12 through 16, so Jesus is preaching and he's walking all around and people are starting to follow him. And it says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Then the news about him spread all the more. Okay, so he heals the guy, says, don't tell anyone. If you're trying to build a ministry, I would think like you would heal the guy and be like, go spread the news. Like, <laughs> your boy's in town. <laughs> the God is here. Amazing. And Jesus heals this guy and says, don't tell anybody except go to the priests as a testimony to them. Meaning there were certain people that Jesus wanted to know. So go to the priest and go through the ritual of Moses. So when somebody would get healed, then you'd go to the temple and you'd be checked by the priest, essentially. And so the priest would see that he's healed. But then we see in the next line, then the news spread about him all the more. Can you imagine being the guy who's healed with lep from leprosy, and the first thing you do, do is go and disobey the Lord? <laughs> the first thing you do is just be like, uh, I got healed. The one thing that he said. So all of a sudden, he's getting more popular, but that wasn't his goal. He said, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Not exactly, he's not exactly going for the best church growth strategy. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Meaning that there were times in the life of Jesus, in his three years of doing ministry, that there were needs all around him and people pressing up to see him and to meet with him. And they had real needs. They had diseases that needed healed. They had wisdom that they needed from him. And yet there are times that he said, hey, I have to protect the most important thing, which is intimacy with the Father. And he would withdraw to lonely places and pray. 
And there's times in our lives that, man, the very practical thing that, that the world would say to do is to meet all these needs around us or to accomplish all these things or to check all of these boxes. And yet, if we try to do those things outside of intimacy with the Father, we're going to get exhausted and we're definitely not going to be as productive as if we actually would be if we would do less with Him rather than doing, trying to do a ton for Him without His presence. And the reason that He prioritized intimacy with the Father and the reason why He tells us to prioritize intimacy with the Father more than anything else we find in John 5.19. says, So Jesus said, I speak to you eternal truth. The Son is unable to do anything from Himself or through His own initiative. In John 15, it says that we are like vine branches, that if we become disconnected from the vine, we're completely worthless. <laughs> that we can do nothing, just like a, a branch can't grow on its own. It has to be connected to the nourishment of the vine. Jesus said, I only do the works that I see the Father doing, for the Son does the same works as the Father. And we see in the life of Jesus that before he picked the 12 apostles, he had all these followers, and before he picked the 12, it said he spent all night praying up on the hilltop. We see that before he went to the cross, what did he do the night before? He went and he was in the garden spending time with his Father. Exactly. Before any major decision and just in a regular rhythm of his life, he lived from a place of intimacy, and he guarded that place more than anything else. More than anything else. And if Jesus, who was perfect, who didn't have any sin clouding his judgment or clouding his perspective, if he needed to prioritize relationship with the Father, man, it's such a model for us to do the same. Because when we, when we look at what Jesus said, the Son is able to do anything from himself or through his initiative. He only does the works that he sees the Father doing. For the Son does the same works as the Father. In order to see what the Father is doing, you actually have to look at the Father. You have to see the Father. And seeing the Father takes time. It takes getting away. It takes putting these blinders on our eyes of <laughs> turning off our phones it means getting away from the needs of people around us. It means laying aside our own needs, and it actually takes time of looking at Jesus. We'll talk a couple practicals in just a second. So in order to do what the Father, only what the Father is doing, first we have to see the Father. Secondly, we have to be able to recognize what the Father is doing. And so it takes time to learn what the Father does, what the Father is like, how He's moving. It takes time to recognize like, oh, that God's working right there. God is moving here. Oh, this is what it feels like when He's leading me to, you know, whatever it is, share the gospel. It, this is what it feels like because I've spent time with Him. This is what the leading of the Holy Spirit feels like. This is what it looks like when He says, hey, give your time and your resources to this person. This is what it looks like when he highlights somebody else to go and meet their needs. Instead of feeling like you have to meet the needs of every person around you, all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to this one specific person. And I actually have the capacity to love this person really well, rather than not loving all these other people really well and just becoming exhausted trying to meet everybody else's needs. Does that make sense? 
So we look at him to see what he looks like. We learn what his heartbeat sounds like of when he's moving, what that looks like, what that feels like. And third is that once we've learned his heart, it takes time to learn then how to partner with him. It takes time to say, all right, when he's moving this way, then I'm going to respond in this way. We, we do that a lot as, as we're leading worship up here, of just years and time and practice of saying, okay, when, I, when we're feeling this, when we feel the Holy Spirit leading this way, uh, what delights his heart? Because he's a, he's a real man. Jesus is a real man with real feelings, and God himself has feelings. Holy Spirit has feelings. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can bless the Holy Spirit. How do we respond when he moves that actually blesses him? How do we respond in a way that the Lord says, yeah, 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 that's exactly what I'm doing? That means so much to me that you would respond to me in that way. It takes time to see him. It takes time to recognize what it looks like when he moves. And it takes time to learn then how to respond to his presence in a way that blesses him and partners with what he's doing in the lives of those around us. You and I were unable to do anything of significance outside of intimacy with Jesus. Anything that lasts. It says that when we stand before the throne of, of heaven, whether Jesus returns or we all pass away, we'll stand before his throne. And it says that like our lives will flash before our eyes, that we'll see everything we ever did. And it says that anything that we did with wrong motivation will just be burned away. Anything that we did to, for significance or to make ourselves feel better or just busy work that we did outside of doing it with him, it says that it all just be burned away, and the things that are left are the things that we did out of love for the Lord. And that doesn't even, I think that sometimes, I think some of the things that are left there will even be things that weren't necessarily right. Like sometimes we do the wrong, like make the wrong choice, but we did it out of love for the Lord trying to obey, and we just got it wrong. So the pressure isn't to get it right every time. The pressure is, no, the pressure isn't to get it right every time. Success is found in obedience. In obedience to his word, in obedience to responding to his voice, in obedience to prioritizing relationship, communion with him above everything else. And I've just felt the Lord really convict me recently of the, the Lord can do, if, if Jesus can spend 30 years of his life here on earth and from an accomplishment standpoint, seemingly wasted, right? Like he wasn't out there drawing crowds. And if he can spend 30 years of his life making tables as a carpenter, developing intimacy with Jesus, and just do ministry for three years, and then end up at the very end with only like 12 followers left, <laughs> and yet those 12 can change the world, then I'm convinced that if we accomplish nothing else in our lives except for if he calls us to be behind the scenes and do nothing of significance except build intimacy with him, except for pouring into one person, then he can change the world through that. He can do way more with those, those small acts of obedience that are born out of intimacy than he ever could with the huge acts that we do that, where we run out in front of the Lord. And it's, it's not what he's calling us to do. And so I want to get really practical here for a second of even just what does it look like to, um, to develop intimacy with the Lord, of just even spending time with Him. One thing I love about um, 
the way that we, we worship or the, I don't know, you can call it a model. I don't like models because then it's easy to make a model like more important than what we're trying to use the model for. But for, uh, for worship, we call TPWI, meaning Thanksgiving, Praise, Worship, and Intercession. Um, and what we love about that is that we, when we enter into God's presence with Thanksgiving and Praise, we do that corporately when we're all together, but we can also do that in our personal times with the Lord. And so here's what I've been doing and how I've, man, I've, been, I've found just so much fruit in building intimacy with Jesus, just in one-on-one times, is that I start off and I just set aside time, I turn off my phone, and I say, Lord, you have this amount of time. And I view this time with Jesus not as a time to come and receive from the Lord. I view it as a sacrifice to give to him. And when I view it as a sacrifice, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter whether I have time or not. Because if it's the most important thing, then I'm going to make time for it. And so I set a time and just say, Jesus, I'm going to give you this time as a sacrifice. Uh, I'm saying this, and I'm definitely guilty of allowing other things to, to become a, a greater priority. But man, if we are prioritizing intimacy with Jesus as our most important thing, and that's how we live out of, if we really see that, man, nothing else is possible other than intimacy with the Lord, then I think that we'll value that, that time like Jesus did, that he would slip away. I mean, he had way more important things knocking on his door. There were way bigger needs in his life than we'll ever have in our lives. And he prioritized that intimacy. And so coming in to his presence, just start off. What I've done is I've started taking a journal, and I've literally just started writing out as many things as I'm thankful for as possible. So Jesus, thank you for, write down. Write down, thank you for this, thank you for this. Sometimes it's super deep things. Sometimes it's not deep things at all. Sometimes it's, you know, whatever it looks like, just starting to thank the Lord. And a huge part of coming into time with the Lord is actually believing that we can enter into his presence freely because of the blood of Jesus. So we come into his presence. I'm telling you, you will never want to hang out with the Lord if you're not convinced that you are right with God. No, like, it is the worst thing to hang out with somebody that you think is just like holding things over your head, right? You know, all of, all of us have had like those relationships where like you're not sure if they've like, they're holding on to something that you did wrong before and like you don't want to hang out with those people. <laughs> or like, I, I don't know, like if I would disappoint like my dad or something growing up, like I, I, w- I wouldn't want to hang out with him. I wouldn't want to hang out with him because I'm not really sure where we're at and I'm, it's better if I can just, honestly, it would be better if I could just do things for him rather than having to get close and be vulnerable with him. And it's the same way. For me, it's a huge default in my life. If I start to do things for God instead of being with Him, when I want to work on our relationship, but I'm a little scared of being intimate with the Lord because I'm not quite sure how He feels about me. And so instead, when I'm coming in, I've just been intentionally doing this, coming in and saying, Lord, I am right with you because of your blood. I may feel like a piece of crap right now, but I am right with you because of your blood and it is nothing that I have done. So I'm coming in in faith and saying, Lord, this time is for you. Here's a sacrifice and I am right with you because of what you have done. I'm thanking him. I'm praising him. I'm loving him. And then I move into a time of silence and just being quiet before the Lord and just saying, Lord, I want to learn your voice. I want to learn your voice. And so sit in silence before him. That can be two minutes. That can be five minutes. That can be 10 minutes, whatever that looks like. And then another way that we grow in intimacy with the Lord, the greatest way that we know him is through his word. It's his self-revelation that we learn about him through how he has already revealed himself to us. 
And so then I'd, whatever that looks like, reading the Bible, I always love the book of John. If you're looking for a place to start, going through the book of John. Does that make sense? Is that easy? Is that helpful? That's not the, that's just the way that I've been engaging very practically with the Lord recently in my times with Him. And you can incorporate worship in there. Our dream is that we're going to have, you know, worship sets, prayer sets online that you guys can worship to. Right now, there, there's so many awesome places that you can just turn on YouTube and you can just love the Lord. You can worship. Uh, my, my heart is that intimacy so often is born out of us focusing on Him rather than us focusing on ourselves. So often we come to the Lord and we're just trying to get our, our needs net and he, He's so good. He'll meet our needs all the time. And yet, there's something that happens. Our hearts open up in a way when we come to Him to offer Him something, a thanks, a praise, to give Him our love. So let me pray for us. When a couple minutes over here. Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege of knowing you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that it is the greatest privilege of our lives. And tonight, God, I ask that you would pour out your spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you, Jesus, right now. Can we put our hands out like we're receiving a gift? Holy Spirit, we invite you to deposit in us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you, Lord. Father, we ask that you would be the holy divine chiropractor and align our values, align our priorities, with keeping you as the head, of keeping you as the leader, of keeping you as the most important, of keeping you as the one that everything else flows from, Lord. Lord, would you speak to our hearts, our desires, God? Would you speak to our desires? Would you align our desires with desiring you above everything else? Everything else, God, we, we give you free reign to come in right now, Come in right now tonight. Would we leave this place different, Lord? Would we long to be with you? Even if we don't know what that looks like or how that feels like, Father, would there be a burning in our hearts to be with you, to know you, Father, and to grow in relationship with you? Lord, it is, it is the greatest privilege of our lives to know the God of all creation. Lord, you created all things in heaven and on earth, and yet we can know you, Lord. We thank you for that privilege. We thank you for that privilege, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we, we invite you right now. Would you come? Would you rest on us in a fresh way, Lord? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.